In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. We live in a world where it's possible to work ourselves 24-7. Even when you're away from the office, work still follows you on your smartphone. Being constantly connected can make us feel like we're getting a lot done. My guest today makes the case that we'd all be better off if we practice the ancient tradition of the Sabbath. His name is Aaron Edelheit, and he's the author of the book, The Hard Break, The Case for a 24-6 Lifestyle. We begin our show discussing the burnout Aaron experienced as an entrepreneur working nonstop, how he rediscovered the Jewish tradition of the Sabbath, how it changed his life and even helped him sell his business for over $200 million. Along the way, we explore America's workaholism, how it's making us miserable and less productive, and costing businesses money. Aaron then digs into how you can start implementing a Sabbath practice regardless of your beliefs and the benefits that accrue to your life, your health, your creativity, and even your bottom line when you take a weekly rest. After the show's over, check out the show notes at aom.is slash hardbreak. Aaron joins me now via clearcast.io. Aaron Edelheit, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So you just put out a book called The Hard Break, The Case for the 24-6 Lifestyle, not the 24-7. Uh, before we get to the impetus behind, well, actually, this is the impetus behind the book. You, you start off the book talking about a moment in your life. You are uh, you, you're a finance guy. You've been doing and you have running investment properties, a company that manages investment properties. So super, you know, motivated type A. But there's this moment you found yourself. You were sobbing in the shower, and you just thought your whole world was falling apart. So tell us about that moment. Yeah. So. Uh... It was actually kind of a pivotal moment in my life. So it's, you know, it's normally you're not, uh, you're not, people aren't too keen to talk about when they have kind of a emotional breakdown, but, you know, this is actually before I started owning rental properties and managing them, but I had started managing money for people and investing it in the stock market at an early age of 23 and started seeing really tremendous success, started in 1998. And for four years, even through the dot-com crisis, I was a golden god. I averaged like 25% a year positive returns. The whole market was going down. And I formed my own very small hedge fund, and things looked to be taking off. And then suddenly a bunch of things started happening, really just kind of life things where I had a relationship, personal relationship, and we broke up and I had taken on a business partner. We started fighting and then that broke up. And then I got sick and doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. And uh, eventually it was kind of misdiagnosed appendicitis. And out of this, and then suddenly my 
you know, not surprisingly, my business returns started falling. And suddenly I wasn't outperforming. And I was still very young at this point, you know, 27, 28. I didn't realize it's actually normal to underperform for some periods of time. I mean, I wasn't mature enough. Uh, Warren Buffett has had periods where he hasn't done so well, and it's actually normal. But I, the combination of all those events really put me in a tailspin, and I found myself crying in the shower and kind of not knowing what to do. And, you know, I kind of got myself out of it. And, you know, my first thought really was, well, I got to double down on uh, work, right? I've got to, I'm not doing, I'm not, my returns, my results are not what I expect. So I've got to do more. I've got to work even harder. And what I found is that wasn't helping anything. And it really wasn't, it took me you know, a little bit, but it wasn't until really out of desperation that I said to myself, well, maybe I, the problem isn't that I'm working, I'm not working enough, but maybe the problem is that I'm working too much and I'm too invested in it. And so really out of desperation, I decided in 2005, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn off. And at this point it was a Blackberry. I'm going to turn off my Blackberry on uh, Friday night, right before I go to bed, I'm going to try to make it till noon on Saturday. This is how addicted, I'm still addicted to my phone, but this is how addicted I was at the time. It seemed like a heroic task, right? Like, how could I possibly have my phone off for four or five hours? And I did it. And then after a couple of weeks, I said, well, maybe I can make it till two or three. And then after, and I did. And then after a couple of months, I said, why, why can't I do it a whole day? And really out of that, out of that kind of experiment, it just transformed my whole life. And now I've been doing it for over 13 years. It's the best thing in my life. And it enabled me to have all of the success that I had after. So what caused me to start crying in the shower? My portfolio was down 5%. (laughs) that's ridiculous right Right. like there's just absolutely no perspective there so now fast forward to 2008 when you have real problems right the financial crisis markets are down 30 or 40 percent but now instead i have a stronger foundation which we can talk about later and now i'm a stronger person so i was able to say, wait a minute, there's opportunity here. And so in the heart of the financial crisis, started buying foreclosed homes, fixing them up and renting them out in 2009 and grew that from 16 rental homes to 2,500. And I was able to then, you know, as I'd say in the book, up and down through the book, all the the whole time, shutting completely off from work and technology from Friday to Saturday night. And then selling the company for $263 million to a public real estate investment trust. And I can tell you is that if it wasn't for me taking off a day every week, I would not have been able to find that opportunity, have the stamina to see it through, to go through the ups and downs. It would not have been possible. So after I sold the company, I started working on this book. 
took me three and a half years, and I wanted to definitively make the case. Because the other thing that I saw from my company is that I saw all these work practices inside and outside the company. You know, from you know having about a hundred employees to you know over one hundred twenty six investors, a board of directors, investment bankers, contractors, etc. So okay, so but you basically implemented a Sabbath practice in your life. And before, That's right. Before we get there, before we talk about uh, what a Sabbath is and what it can look like, let's talk about the problem that you were facing because you're not the only one that's hap- that's this is happening to where you work all the time, you're not getting the results you think you should get. So you think the solution is well, I should just double down on work. And you, you highlight all this research that says that Americans, particularly um, you know middle class, upper class Americans, people who are doing like knowledge type, like lawyers, doctors, uh, creative types, they feel like they're working more than ever. So how many hours are Americans working on average these days? So it's not so much that we're working more hours per se, but it's that we're constantly connected. That's the, one of the biggest problems. We're constantly connected and we're on call. So if you think about it, when you have your phone on and you're connected to your phone and your computer and your email, you're basically on call to every business contact and every social contact that you've almost ever met through Facebook, through Twitter, through email, through Slack. Everyone can reach you at any time. And our brains are addicted to the point to check it. We may not immediately respond, but everyone has access to us. The research is very clear. We are not made to be on call every waking moment of the day. And it's an absurd comment. It's an absurd, it's an absurdity. Like, right? Like, how are we, why would we allow that? How could that possibly be good? And the reason, one of the reasons I, re, I spent so much time working on the book is there's 200 footnotes in this book. Uh, I had to remove dozens because my editor told me, you're not writing a scientific paper. The evidence is overwhelming that what we're doing to ourselves from a health, a mental health, happiness, creativity, productivity, it does, it's not working. And we kind of, we, we, we know this, right? We intuitively kind of know that something's wrong. And we see it in society as well. People are more anxious. There's an anxiety epidemic going on. People are angrier. We're we're arguably living in the best time ever to be alive in terms of health, in terms of lifespan, in terms of violence, in terms of you know opportunity. There are there is inequality. It doesn't mean that it's all wonderful, but if you look in the vast history, we should be dancing in the streets by how good the world is, but we're not acting like it. No, yeah, for sure. And I mean, so, okay, there's emotional, psychological consequence. You talk about the physical health consequences of us constantly being connected and constantly, like, you work, like, you might not work more hours, but, like, it's just, like, you're always constantly checking in, like, it's sucking up your bandwidth. There's also, like, physical health consequence. Like, you experienced something like that. Oh, yeah. No, well, would you want an 80% increase in coronary risk? Right, no, yeah. All you have to do is work more than 10 hours a day. That's according to 50 years of research. 
And it's really bad for women. Women who work an average of 60 hours a week are three times as likely to develop heart disease, cancer, arthritis, and diabetes. There's a link between long work hours and depression, heart disease, type 2 diabetes. You're more likely to become an alcoholic. Then, then just think about injuries. There's a German study that showed that, that after the eighth or ninth hour of work, you have a substantially higher risk of injury on the job. You're more likely if you work more than 12 hours a day or more than 40 hours a week to have neck, shoulder, and back disorders. You know, the, the, the world, WHO, the World Health Organization, estimates that health, mental illness, and substance abuse cost employers something like $100 billion a year. Like this is all translating into, and then if you, the problem seems to get worse. So the average stress level is, you know, for millennials on a scale of one to 10, it's 5.4. And for boomers, it's 4.7. And for the older generation, it's 3.7. So, like, and, and then you look at in college, college health clinics are being overrun with mental health cases. It's growing by double-digit percentages every year. The number one way that middle school kids die is from suicide. It used to be car accidents. Like so, a lot of the stuff is just like whoa, you know. Like there, there's not only physical, but there is there's this really mental consequence of of overworking, of being connected all the time, and it's that we're not built and set up for this. And it's like anything. It's not, this doesn't mean that you just, you know, go back to using like a rotary phone, right? It's just that anything taken in its, in its extreme is, is not going to be good. And it also seems there's like a lack of perspective. And you also highlight, you know, some startup culture that exists where it's either you succeed or you're a complete failure if your startup doesn't succeed. And all these guys, you know, there's been a couple high case, high profile cases of, you know, startup founders whose startup didn't do so well and they ended up committing suicide. That's right. And this is the probably the number one reason that I uh, wrote the book is there is this pernicious myth that you need to grind and burn yourself out and go to a level that is almost like martyrdom to succeed. And it's not true. And, and, and not only is it not true, but there are tremendous negative consequences to doing this. Family life, mental health, physical. And I profile a series of people, including one of the co-founders of Facebook, that has, he has Severe regret, Dustin Moskowitz, severe regret that the way he worked and he said, I could have done a better job. I could have been a better boss. And in fact, he took those lessons and when he co-founded his next company, Asana, which is, I believe, the number one company to work for in America, and I think they have a three or $4 billion valuation. Ironically, it's a product productivity software tool, they have, you work like nine to five. There is, you know, strong encouragement on mental well-being and on, on setting boundaries at work. 
it is a new company. And he started it from scratch and now it's, you know, it's being very successful. There are a number of people in this and, and companies throughout the book, as you know from reading it, that profile that, that they either burned themselves out, which they hadn't, or what they've done is they're, be, they're super successful because they take a Sabbath. Well, and so, I mean, that's the other thing. So there's not only health, both physical and psychological consequences of overworking, but like the, you show the research, like actually working more makes you less productive. Like it does the exact opposite of what you think it was, it would do. That's exactly right. And, 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 and what happens is that there's, you know, this isn't surprising if you think about it. Look, if, if I was, if I needed to work on a project and I'm on a deadline, can I, for a week or two, grind it out and really put in the Superman type hours and get it done? Yes, absolutely. But if research has shown that you keep that up for more than a month or two, and your productivity starts to decline. And then eventually it starts declining further than if you just worked 40 hours a day. And one of the one of the more more interesting things that I profile in the book was the Stanford researcher who found extensive details in World War One, and and why this is so interesting is so World War One breaks out, and Britain needs to compete with the German war machine and produce more munitions, and so they suspend. They had started implementing all these positive labor rules to protect the workforce after the industrial revolution but war breaks out and they said hey sorry this is this is life or death they took away all the labor rules and they start producing munitions but it's not enough so they form a commission and they say commission we want you to look into the data and we want you to you know do a survey and let us know how do we produce more munitions? And so they did a detail. They scrounged, they grabbed every, every piece of data they could. And they came back with a pretty shocking recommendation. And that was that workers needed to work less and not more. Because, and they found that the best workers were those that didn't, not the ones who worked seven days a week, but those that worked six days a week and had a Sunday Sabbath were the most productive. And what they found is, is that the longer that people worked the seven days, the more likely they were to get injured, the more likely they were to make a mistake, the more likely they were to get sick, to get tired. And so, you know, this, this was, uh, you know, it, it, this, has, this type of study has been repeated a number of times. And, it, and it's not so surprising. And, uh, and, and now, what I argue is the Sabbath, an institution that has been around for thousands of years, is arguably more important today than it's ever been. Because if you think about it, our brain is a muscle just like anything else. And we're constantly plugged in. And we're constantly connected and we're constantly using it. And what's happening is we're not giving our brain a break. And we're having a lot of negative mental health aspects that we've already talked about. 
But on the other side, why are we doing it? We're doing it because we want to achieve more. We want to be more successful. We want to, you know, we we want to provide for our families, right? Well, an interesting thing, and this this is this is what's so fascinating after doing a deep dive in this, is that you have a tradition that's thousands of years old. The latest in neuroscience shows that when you're relaxing, when you're not actively engaging your brain. There's a part of your brain that goes into overdrive, and that's called the default mode network. Now, what does the default mode network do? The default mode network takes in the information and the experiences that that you have, processes them, and tries to form patterns. So what does that mean? You ever have the proverbial idea in the shower? Are you ever going for a walk, and all of a sudden a solution to a problem hits you? That's the default mode network. And so what does that mean for today? How do you be successful today? Well, you've got to be more creative. You've got to be more innovative. You've got to be a better problem solver. It's not about taking in more information. It's about what do you do with information? And so if you're not giving yourself a break, you're not giving your brain a break. You're actually hurting your chances to succeed in today's world. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits started at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness, M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. 
By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best, become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. Okay, so let's, let's, okay, so obviously uh, we're overworking, not good for you. Taking breaks are actually beneficial. Let's talk about this idea of Sabbath. As you said, it's been around for thousands of years. You, you were, you are Jewish, but at the time you weren't uh, practicing, you weren't very observant. But then you had that moment in the shower and then you doubled down. That didn't work. So you started. Implementing because you started on Friday night. That's uh, typically when when Jewish people start their Sabbath, not using your phone. So for our listeners who aren't familiar, can you walk us through like what Jewish the Jewish Sabbath observant is like? What does that look like? So it's different for different Jews, and so mine is you know the Jewish Sabbath is from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Christian Sabbath is on Sunday. What I use my Sabbath to do is. Friday night, I turn off my phone. I turn off my computer. I turn off my laptop. What I try to do is not talk about work or do any work on that Saturday, on that Friday night to Saturday. Now, personally, I will drive somewhere. I will watch TV. I, it, it, but because I have three small children, it's more likely to be Frozen or some other like Pixar type movie or Bubble Guppies or something, but I won't watch anything on business or politics. And if I drive, it'll go to meet friends. And it, and and that is my Sabbath. What I'll do, try to do is go for a hike. My fav, one of my favorite things is is taking a nap. It literally makes me feel like a king. I love it. And what I try to do is just really connect with my family and 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 friends. During during that Sabbath, there's other Jews who it, it's a much more religious day. They you know some of the more religious Jews will turn off 
all like electricity or they'll leave certain lights on and stuff like that. For me, it's, it's, uh, it's more of a, a, you know, I'm taking the, the more personal side for me to just connect with myself and my family. And besides Judaism and Christianity, are there other religions that have a practice of taking a break from work? Well, I know that just inside, you know, Christianity, you know, like Mormons also do it. And I believe I didn't do so much uh, research in this, and but there is a, a Buddhist day, you know, kind of like a inner calm kind of rest day that happens a couple times a month. But my focus has just been what works on me. And the reason I called the book The Hard Break is what I do is I is it's taking the concept of the Sabbath and showing a bunch of different ways that people do it. And so it's not, I don't believe it's necessarily a Jewish or Christian thing. It's, the idea is born out of this, but I profile it like there's some people in the book that what they do is, you know, there's a lot of peer pressure at work to, you know, stay at work and work long hours. And some people say, hey, at 5 p.m., I'm done and I'm not reachable, and they go pick up their kids. They may uh, you know, play sports with them, help them with their homework, have a meal together, put them in their room, put them to bed, et cetera, and then they turn back on 8 at 8.30. And so their hard break every week is that three, you know, three and a half hours. I don't think it's ideal. I think it is good to have a whole day. In fact, uh, research research has shown that cortisol, which is a marker of stress in your body, that it takes about 24 hours if you have elevated levels of cortisol for it to return to normal. Like it's really interesting to find all this uh, uh, all this research that just kind of ties back into you know the idea of taking a whole day. But there are different ways to practice it. And it doesn't have to be religious. Like Brad Feld, for example, one of the most prominent venture capitalists, one of the most successful, his is strictly a secular digital Sabbath. So there's no religious connotation to his, his day of rest. So yeah, let's talk about some of these people you highlight because you a lot of people are afraid of taking that break from work, whether it's just turning off the phone or just being, you can't, not being reachable because they think it'll put them behind the competition. But yeah, you highlight several successful business people who have made taking complete time off once a week part of the routine. So you mentioned that uh, just the gentleman just now. You also talk about Clay, Clay Christensen, the guy who wrote The Innovator's Dilemma, uh, practicing Mormon. And for his entire career, even when he was working at a consulting company, he didn't, didn't work on Sundays or Saturdays. Yeah, no. So this is what's really interesting is that the, it's very important. The Sabbath isn't broccoli. You know, it's not like a vegetable you have to take. This is, to me, it's ice cream. I get a vacation day every week. And not only do I get a vacation day, but this vacation day it has been the key to my success. So what I wanted to do is not only share all the research, the overwhelming amount of research that shows how, how it doesn't work, how, how we're working doesn't work and how bad it is for you, but I wanted to profile people that are not only doing it, but say that it is the key to their success. Like Brad Feld, prominent you know, venture capitalist, said he's doing the best work he's ever done since he implemented this. You mentioned about Clayton Christensen and all of the success that he has done. Uh, ha- has seen. 
think of the best example is Chick-fil-A. Oh yeah. I love Chick-fil-A. Yeah. They're closed every Sunday. How many times do you drive by a Chick-fil-A on Sunday and go, oh, I thought I wish they were open. Like, right? But they're closed every Sunday. The average Chick-fil-A does four times the revenue of the average KFC, even though KFC is open every day. They're about to be the third largest fast food company in the country, and they do $9 billion in sales. And if you talk to the executives at Chick-fil-A, they say the key to their success is the Sabbath. And I profile in the book why and how all of their practices in their company kind of flow down from this idea that everyone gets a day off. They are more successful because of it. And you know, you mentioned Clayton Christensen. You know, when he first started his career, he was at Boston Consulting Group, who kind of frowned on taking a day off. You think about consultants, they're working all the time. It's a very tough job. You have to travel as well. And and so it's interesting to profile Clayton's story where in the 60s or 70s, he was struggling at Boston Consulting Group, you know, with, you know, and he stuck to his Sabbath practice to the Boston Consulting Group of today, because the Boston, Boston Consulting Group reached a level where the senior partners were like, we're having a problem retaining employees. They're burning out. They're using our company as a stepping stone. And how do we retain our employees? How do we see, how do we have them see that this is a place to stay? And so they, a Harvard professor came in and said, hey, I'd like to start an experiment. You know, we'd like to try and get, see what happens if some of your consultants take a day off. And so the senior partners are like, yes, we'll, you know, let's, you'll find a team and uh, we'll, we'll monitor them and see how they do. And so the Harvard professor tries to go in and can't find anyone who wants a day off, which is kind of totally absurd. If you and I were to take a time machine of any time 20, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and you were to come in and say to the person, hey, I want you to take a paid, paid time off. And and not work. You, the average person in the past would be, yes, that sounds amazing. But only today, when it's like, no, no, I can't do that. It's going to hurt my career. Or it just looks uh, bad, right? Like, yeah, it's it'll like you're, look you're, bad. You're an immoral my, person, right? Like a yeah. less virtuous person if you take time off. Yeah, that's exactly right. So eventually, the senior partners have to inv- intervene. They find one one team, and what happens? Well, this team starts saying, my God, I feel so refreshed. Yeah, this is really wonderful. You know, I'm having these new ideas. And then they start talking among, amongst each other and say, hey, why are we having that three-hour meeting? Can it be 30 minutes? And then people start backing each other up. And they start saying, oh, now I understand why this person does the job this way. And they start working better together. And what happens? They're more refreshed. They have better ideas. They're more efficient. And they're working better together. What is the quality of their output? Substantially better. All of a sudden, other people in their office said, wait a minute. They look happier. How do I get in on this? And so 
the senior partners say, whoa, there's something really here. And so they did something, you know, very enlightened, which is to say they went in and they said, you know what? We're going to roll this out to the entire company. But of course, and you got to love this, only consultants, they come up with a name about this. They say, we're going to call this predictable time off. You know, I call, I call it the Sabbath. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, we invented. And Boston Consulting Group is like the number three or number four best company to work for. Retention in the company has surged, employee satisfaction, and they, they're, you know, absolutely benefiting from this, from, a, from, the, from the, the qualitative output to inside the company, the quality of a work and life and the happiness of their employees. Well, speaking of that culture shift that's happened, you, know, you mentioned if you went back in a time machine 20 years ago and someone came to you and said, do you want time off? People are like, yes. But now it's like, no, like I'm going to work. I'm going to rise and grind. I'm going to hustle. Like that's the ethos today. But I mean, like I was, I was talking to my wife about this, like 20 years ago, Office Space came out, that movie. Yes. And like that sort of, that's, that's how people felt about work. It's like, well, if I had a million dollars, I would do nothing. Like I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to work uh, all the time. Now it's like, I don't think that would resonate with a lot of young people. They're like, well, of course you should always work. Work is amazing. And, and you should hustle and rise and grind. Well, I think that, you know, what you have to look as is to why, what's driving this? What I think what's driving this is, is signaling. It's wearing it on a sleeve. Or it's this, you look at a, other people that are doing it and they kind of enforce it. And it's all about looks and it's not about output. All we should care about are what are the results that we want? How do we, how do we want not only the results from our business life, but our personal life as well? And so it's like, I have three young kids and my wife has taken the phone from my hand and thrown it in the front bushes of our house. How, that's how upset she's been. And, and still with how I use my phone, she complains that she only sees the top of my head. It has helped save my marriage and my relationship with my wife that she knows at least one day a week, she gets all of me. Not a distracted me. There was a wonderful article in the Atlantic talking about how parents are now spending more time than they've ever spent with their children. But the quality of that time is garbage. It sucks. Why? Because they're distracted. They're not really there and our kids know it. When I sit on the floor with my, my daughter, my five-year-old daughter, and we're playing, and then she does something cute and I want to take a picture or I want to turn on her favorite song. So I go to my phone, right? Because everything's on my phone. And I go to do it. And then I, I look, oh, I got an email, got a text. I wonder, wonder what's going on. And it's five, 10 seconds. And my daughter will turn to me and say, Papa, will you play with me? And I, my first reaction is like, I, I am playing with you. I'm here. I'm right here. But she knows she doesn't have my full attention. And on that Sabbath day, there is no distraction. There, there is no, there, I, I am there. And I can't tell you is that it just, everything in life 
comes from relationships. All of our satisfaction. Look, now, obviously, past a certain dollar amount, you want to make sure that you you know, that you have a roof over your head and you, you have a job and, you know, you're paying the bills and stuff. But once you get past that, all of the satisfaction in life comes from relationships. So don't you want to have one day where you just get to focus on those relationships, the most important? Don't you want to just have a lunch or a dinner with friends or family and not be distracted or feel like you have to go run to something else and something else and something else. No. Yeah. I think a lot of people would like to feel that. So let's get to some brass tacks here of how we can start implementing this in our lives. So how do you go about setting up a Sabbath for you, for somebody? Because I imagine it takes some prep work to get it, make sure in place. What does that look like? So the number one thing I recommend is baby steps is don't jump in with both feet. I don't think it works with diets. I don't think it works with a, you know many things that you we start going to the gym and you're going to be like I'm working out every day. It just doesn't you just you're not going to keep it up. It's not sustainable. How how do you make this sustainable in your life? And to me it's you take baby steps. So how did it work for me? I started with 4 hours on a Saturday morning having my phone and computer off. And so what I recommend is people start, you know, doing it and prep beforehand. Let people know, you know, where you're going to be, that you're going to be off. You set the expectation in advance. You anything that you need to get done, you get done in advance. And, and um then there's just tips and tricks that you can do. A lot of people don't realize this, but let's say you didn't want to have your phone completely off. You can put do not disturb on your phone. Turn off all notifications. And if you put up do not disturb, at least on the iPhone, if someone calls you twice within five minutes, it'll ring through. So if you really need to have that phone on, you can keep it on. The other things, you know, just tricks that you know, I have, uh, th- as I said, I have three small kids. Two of them have some ongoing health issues. They're doing well, but there's been times when my wife and I have to separate on a Sabbath for a variety of reasons. And what we'll do, we'll switch phones. There's nothing on my wife's phone that there's no work email, there's no Twitter, there's not, none of the social media is mine. And it's just a phone. You can also get, you know, if you think of the movie, you can get kind of like an old flip phone to use just for the, just for the Sabbath, you know. And, and there's a bunch of little things to think about, like how are you going you – know, because what keeps people connected is fear, right? The fear of what happens if X happens or someone needs to reach me or – you know, one, I can tell you very little happens on Saturday. And from a business perspective, there's very little. It, and, and if you're so critical that you need to be on seven days a week, something's wrong either with your job or the business that you're running, because that is not sustainable. And what happens if you get sick or get hit by a truck or you know, your business is going away. You're describing there's no redundancy in your business. And, you know, going back to 
is that this is what a lot of very smart entrepreneurs are starting to realize. Building redundancy into your business is actually really good. So giving people days off is ways to find where there are problems in, in, your, uh, in your system. That if someone can't take a day off, then that's a problem. But so, so those are some of the ways. The other ways is make it enjoyable. Do this. Th- remember, this is not meant to be, you know, kind of this painful medicine you have to take. This is supposed to be a vacation. This is supposed to be a day of rest. What are you going to do on these days? Some of the days I do is I just read for pleasure. I'm not reading to improve myself constantly. I'm, you know, reading blogs, you know, like the art of manliness, or, you know, I'm reading books and productivity stuff and trying to, how am I going to make myself better and better? You know what I don't do on Sabbath? On the Sabbath? I don't do any of that. I read like science fiction and stuff purely for fun. I take a nap, I go for a hike. If I'm going to do an activity, there's just one activity. Because remember, the Sabbath is meant to be different than every other day. So the last thing you want to do is turn off your phone and then say, I'm going to pack in seven or eight activities and I'm going to run from one thing to another. That's not a Sabbath. Right. You don't want, you don't want to make it a chore. Yeah, that that's exactly right. It's, it's, you're meant, you know, it's, it's meant to be this, you're getting time back. You're getting time back. You're getting this gift of time which we all know is just going flying by so fast. Enjoy it. No, for sure. Yeah. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Like make it free, like and make it a refreshing day for yourself. So yeah, I mean, like, so it sounds like a lot of things you can do, reconnect with family. And that could be one of the things you talk about is like, call your parents, right? Cause you probably don't see your parents. Use that day where you, you call them or FaceTime, whatever it is you want to do with that. I didn't know that she talked about in Jewish tradition, like Sabbath is a day to have sex, which I n- had no clue. That's exactly that right. That was a thing. So I profiled Senator Joseph Lieberman, who was almost vice president. And he talks about it in his book. You know, again, it comes from this idea that it's supposed to be enjoyable, that you're, you're, it's actually a commandment. You're actually, you're actually supposed to have sex on the Sabbath. So when you talk about, for me at least, you know, connecting with your family, connecting with your spouse, connecting with friends, it's meant to be enjoyable. So, it, and the other thing is make it your own. What do you not get to do during the week that you would like to do? There's some people who are like, you know what I love to do? I love to go out and garden or I, you know, they've asked me like, hey, uh, is it okay if I mow the lawn? The lawn? And it's like, I really enjoy it and I zone out. And I'm like, yes. You know, I always wondered why do so many Silicon Valley founders and venture capitalists are surfers? And then it hit me after talking to them of why they're constantly rushing out to do it. That's their little Sabbath. What can't you do when you're surfing? You're not on your phone. You're not working. You're in this kind of zone. You're into nature. That's another thing. Go out into nature. Go, you know, go for a hike. Go, go do something that is out there that is that that you know will fulfill your soul. So taking daily or weekly breaks is something we can do easily. Or I mean, 
maybe not easily at the beginning, but it can be done. But you also talk about within the Jewish tradition, there's this idea of sabbaticals where you take an extended break. That sounds like a vacation, but unfortunately, more and more Americans are taking less and less vacation. Yeah, that's right. Like Americans gave up something like 700 million paid vacation days. And then you're reading in the Wall Street Journal articles about workations, where you bring your work on vacation. Now, we know from the research that this is not good. It's not good for you. It's not good for the business. It's not good for productivity. We know this. It's not good for your health. We know all of this. And yet people are doing it. And it's like, and they're giving up payment. And so what I do is I highlight in the book one entrepreneur, one successful CEO who's instituted something called paid, paid vacations. He pays people to turn off on their vacation. It's a kind of an absurd thing. You know, and it brings me back to the, you know, one thing we didn't touch on was like sports. You know, we, we, we can learn a lot from sports because sports is actually moving in the opposite direction that business is moving in because sports is studying the athlete's performance and realizing that breaks, hard breaks, are actually critical to peak uh, athletic performance. So that's why you saw where the Chicago Cubs almost lost the World Series because their reliever had almost thrown too many pitches. And you find that you know rock climbers argue about you know not not whether you should take a break, but how many days is the right amount. You have someone you know you have NFL players who are who are saying, oh well, you know JJ Watt for the Houston Texans during the. The season, he says that he tries to sleep nine to 10 hours a day. You have LeBron James that once playoffs come, he institutes something called Zero Dark 30, who turns off all devices, turns off his social media, everything. Why? So he can focus and he can be present. Yeah, I think the reason, you talked about it earlier, the reason why Americans aren't taking paid vacations is they're afraid that if they do, like a boss will find out that they don't really do anything, right? Like I mean, the world, the company won't grind to a halt without me. But as you said earlier, that's also a problem. If like, if your company does grind to a halt without you, well, that's a problem too. Yeah. And, but you know, it's, it's not only that, I, I think it's, they're trying to signal, Hey, I'm, I'm a real company person. I'm committed to this organization. Look, I'm even responding on my vacation. And I don't think that that's how I think it's just signaling, but Again, if you want to be more successful in your work and you want to rise in an organization or you want your company to rise, it's all about having the best ideas. It's solving problems. It's being creative. If you're constantly connected, you're not giving your brain the chance to to be that person. You know, and one of the best examples of sight in the book is probably the most innovative musical to come around in decades, Hamilton. How is it created? Well, Lin-Manuel Miranda at a successful Broadway show decides he's going to go on vacation. He's at the airport bookstore and picks up the biography of Hamilton by Ron Chernow and brings it with him on vacation. Now, who in their right mind would come up with a musical about a treasury secretary of the United States rapping 
with a multiracial cast and that that would be would take the world by storm. Well, you can only come up with something like that if you're giving your brain the chance and you're just you're ju- you're on vacation. So take vacation. It's good for you. It's good for business. It's good for your career. I love it. So yeah. So, but how do you talk to your employer about this? Because maybe you have a boss, or you work for a company where they have you know policies where they want you to take off, they want you to take vacation, and that's there. But what if you work at a place that doesn't have that, where they, the ethos is you work all the time, even when you're on vacation, you got to be reachable. How do you have that conversation with your employer and said maybe that's not the best thing? Uh, for the company by having that policy? Well, you could, you could give them my book. <laughs> That's one. There you go. Um, but two is you have to ask yourself, do you want to work for that company? You know, is this the right company? Is this the right, is this the right culture I want to be around? Is this going to bring out the best in me? And is this going to be best for my family and my personal life? I mean, you can try and talk to your boss, say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm committed. I'm working. I, I, you know, I'm a hard worker, but I just need to, you know, come this time. I'm, I'm going to be off. You, you can, you can say that. And if you get a negative reaction, then you have to decide, do you want to be at that company? But, you know, I work on Sunday. Sunday's a work day for me. And just think about it. If I can't get my work done in six days a week, something's wrong. No, for sure. Okay, so you, it's a gut check. So you can do the conversation. If it doesn't go the way you want, you might have to decide, well, this isn't a great place for me and you go find something else. I mean, that, you know, I think that's your real, that, that, that's your alternatives. And luckily now we're in the type of economy and shortage of workers, shortage of skilled workers where this is a time that, you know, if ever there was a time for you to, you know, think about, you know, where you want to be and how you want to live your life. You know, now's, now's the time to do it. And I think employers are starting to realize this, but I think beyond just, just the employment situation, I think there more and more employers are realizing that something has to change. They're realizing that burnout is a problem, that sickness, that mistakes at work, that it's just not helpful. Because more and more of our jobs is about processing information, problem solving, and being creative. Well, Aaron, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? So they can go to thehardbreak.com is my website. They can also find my book on Amazon, The Hard Break, The Case for a 24-6 Lifestyle. They can also find me on Twitter at Aaron Value. A-A-R-O-N, and then value. Fantastic. Well, Aaron Edelheit, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. My guest today was Aaron Edelheit. He's the author of the book, The Hard Break, The Case for a 24-6 Lifestyle. It's available on Amazon.com. Also, check out our show notes at aom.is slash hardbreak, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website, artofmanliness.com, where you can see all of our podcast archives, over 500 episodes there, as well as thousands of articles rewritten over the years about relationships. We even have articles about the Sabbath on there, a spiritual discipline, fitness, you name it, we've got it. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, 
thank you, please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member you would think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay reminding you not only listen to the A1 podcast, but put what you've heard into action. 